0: Okay, Russ. So today is September 24th. It's my birthday. I'm 58 years old this year, 2023. Oh, geez. You know what I'd really like for my birthday this year? What do you want? Uh, if I can, you know, get it for you from my heart, anything you'd like. Okay. I would like to co-host this podcast with the same difference guys. I mean, we've been trying to do that for a long time and, uh, <laughs> you know, that'd be a great present. You mean AJ and Johnny? Yeah, those
1: guys. Those guys who talk about jazz standards? Yeah, them. All right. Your wish is my
0: command. Hey. Hey. It's, hey buddy, it's AJ man. and John. Happy wow. birthday, man. Wow. <laughs> Happy birthday. Wait, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask for money too? FD8. Yeah. No, <laughs> too late. Too Next late. Next year. <laughs> Next year. Okay. Ross, you are good. You are that good. Was, that was amazing. <laughs> that worked No, it's great right to now. see you guys. Wow. And welcome to the Adult yeah. Music Podcast. This is very exciting. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. It's exciting Mm -hmm. for us too.
1: Yeah, we've been looking forward to this. And we have a kind of nice intersection and difference between what we do. Of course, uh, we do classical and jazz. And then we'd focus on purely new releases, which often contain a lot of jazz standards. But that's where you guys... Spend all your time each episode on Jazz standards. So for our audience, let us know, uh, how did you guys uh, get started out with this uh, podcast idea? Well, the
2: podcast idea,
1: I'll, I'll let AJ handle
2: that. But he and I have been going to the Playboy Jazz Festival since the 80s. I started going with my dad when I was 13 in 1981. And AJ, hmm. you joined in 87? 88. Eight? 88. 88. Yeah. And then there's a jazz festival here where I live in Sun Valley, Idaho, the Sun Valley Jazz Festival, which happens every year. And AJ has been coming out to that for the last 10, 15 years, something like that. So we have a deep love of jazz that goes way back. Um, you know, we met each other in college, although he didn't go to the college. He just kind of crashed on the couches of friends of mine that went to college. <laughs> I knew guys. It, like it that. took
3: me a while to actually go to college. I was I was having fun. <laughs> But as far as the podcast goes, AJ? Well, you know, it was one of those things where I was uh, lived in Alaska for a while, and it's really easy to get a radio show in Alaska. All you have to do is say, I'll volunteer. And that's pretty much what I did is volunteer. And they said, well, we have an opening in the jazz section. I said, great. I'll do a jazz show. Every week I did like four hours of jazz. And as soon as I came back here, I thought I could try that again. I went to four different radio stations and they all said, Yeah, we don't know who you are and no, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Johnny said, I still want to talk about jazz, man. He, he said, Great, that sounds like a great plan. So uh that's how we got started.
0: Wow. I've mm-hmm. had I've had that same experience. Oh, you can't do it, you don't have the right voice or something like that. But now we're we're all podcasters and, and what if they can <laughs> say what they want, but they're not gonna stop us. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. They still right. say exactly. you don't have the right voice, but whatever. Right. Yeah. And you guys started 2018, oh, oh. I think. 2018, yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you're wondering where those downloads are coming from, that's me. I've been <laughs> listening <laughs> to the beginning. I'm on episode 40 now, but I'm still you. listening to the new ones as well. So I do two a week. And... Right. <laughs> We're starting to make it a point to go back and,
2: and redo the early, early ones. Because as, as you guys, I'm sure, may have experienced, like your very first show, uh, we didn't yeah. know what we were doing. Yeah. We, we we had no flow, no rhythm. <laughs> Technically, it was a right. disaster. You know, probably somewhere about I don't know the tenth or
1: fifteenth, twentieth episode.
2: Yeah, <laughs> we, got up, we got up to speed. You know, we got up to cruising altitude. Right. So. Right.
1: We just jumped yeah, well, in. We had decided to do it. But, you know, there were so many questions about how to do this, how to do that. So one day we just we do a few face to face and we just <laughs> sat down and started. So, yeah, it took a while you to guys, work those things out.
3: You guys are super impressive. The fact that you are still managing one a week. I mean, we tried that. We started on that. We even hmm. recorded five extra ones to kind of keep in the bag. Oh, wow. I think by episode 18. We were done with those and we're like, we can't do this. We cannot do every week. It's just not <laughs> yeah. going
2: to be it possible. Just, it was
1: just too much. Yeah, we got to give credit to Mrs. Russ for long suffering <laughs> and supporting <laughs> those efforts because every Sunday night she's down on the couch or with the TV. And I'm up here with my boyfriend, Mike, as she says. So. <laughs> yeah.
0: right. And I, I'd like to give myself credit for remaining single. So I don't have any of these kinds of issues. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't wrong, be able but... to do this if I were married. I'm pretty sure. This is going to be yeah. episode
1: 133. Oh, cool. And I think we're going to call it the standards summit. Oh, that's we'll cool. See <laughs> idea. Yeah. Nice. Like nice. It. Yeah. Right. Good name. Now, before we get rolling into everything here, I want to remind all of our listeners, any new listeners in the episode description, you can find links to Spotify and Apple Music for the music we're going to discuss. Also, at the top of the description, there's a link to the full episode playlist. That's all the music in one place on Deezer, CD quality streaming from France. You can also listen to the podcast there if you want to get everything in one place. And if you don't see the full description or the links aren't active on whatever platform or app you listen to us on, come over and check us out on our host site. That's podbean, dot com. Everything's easy to follow there. If you enjoy the podcast, please follow or subscribe wherever you listen to us. Tell a music-loving friend. That's the best way to get new listeners for us. And if you take a moment... Give us a ranking, write a short review. That helps us get listed in the recommendations. It's another way we can get new listeners. Also, come and follow us on our Facebook page. You can get extra info on new releases throughout the week. See our handsome faces over there and uh, leave a message or comment. And if you want to get in touch by email directly, We'd love to hear from you. Any questions or comments. Our email address is adultmusicpodcast, that's all one word, at gmail.com. This week we're going to continue with our uh, new format of playing music samples. And so any big music companies uh, that are out there, uh, here's our fair use disclaimer. Music sample clips are for commentary and educational purposes. We recommend that listeners listen to the complete recordings, all of which are available on streaming services in the links provided. And we also suggest that if you enjoy the music, you consider purchasing the CDs or high-quality downloads to support the artists. All right, yeah, be
0: like be like me, buy the CD.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. we gotta use that that
2: is we gotta, yeah could you
0: write that <laughs> down that's yeah. uh, i could definitely write that down <laughs> we
2: just say don't
4: sue us
0: don't sue us i'll send it to you yeah i just worked it out uh last week uh, or you know could just say good, su- but- sue away we don't have any money anyways. So.
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah good luck on <laughs> suing
1: us yeah take your share of the profits We've uh, cut down our normal format of six recordings a week to just three for this episode. So we can focus on the interaction, but we're going to throw you guys and, and a little bit of because we figure a... we're the only
0: lunatics that'll listen to six albums for a week. We actually did break the, uh, the podcast rule, which one of the Cardinal podcast rules, which is don't make your guests do any work. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we just cut the workload down. <laughs> yeah. And we're throwing cool. you
1: guys a big curveball uh, with a, Classical recording from Mike to start things out. Well that's not so. a
0: curveball. They knew they were gonna get hit with one of these. What? We, we were generous, though we only included one, so they <laughs>
3: <laughs> And I am appreciative. Yeah. I, I am too. Honestly.
2: It's it's you know, I it gave me a reason to listen to some classical music, which you know, I've got a collection, but quite frankly, I don't reach for it that often. Right. So all
0: right, well, yeah. let's talk a little bit about classical music. Do you guys actually how often, if ever, do you guys listen to classical music? AJ, you wanna start?
3: <laughs> Rarely. I do I Rarely. do have several albums and actually uh most of it is focused on probably uh beethoven and a little bit of chopin my daughter was playing violin for a while and Mm -hmm. that worked out to where i was listening to some classical music that she was playing but eventually it's it's one of those things where i think how i described it is i'm not really a fan Mm -hmm. so because of that i end up not being able to make the emotional connection that i can make with jazz Mm -hmm. music and because of that i don't find myself reaching for it very often
0: yeah, well, I'm here to to change that. <laughs> help me out, help me out. <laughs> actually, yeah, I come from a, I would say, a non-musical family myself. And now, actually, because of the podcast, and my brother has a, um, a daughter who dances, so he gets to hear all this classical music all the time. And now he's starting to want to know a little more about it, so he's listening to the podcast too. So yeah, a lot of times children will uh, get you into that. I'll tell you how I got into it. When I'm on your podcast. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. We'll wait for We're that. We're going to hold you to that. <laughs> uh, well, that's yeah. not a problem. Now, Johnny, how yeah. about you? Do you listen to classical music at all?
2: Rarely, I would say. Ironically, I just listened to about three hours of classical music yesterday. I, I was driving from Salt Lake City to where I live, and that's about a four hour drive. And as I got away far enough from Salt Lake City that the receptions start becoming few and far between, and I'm searching around and boom, up ups, the Blue Danube by Strauss, right. which is probably my favorite classical piece. It's a nice one. Oh, man. And I was just like, oh, this is great. You know, I'm driving along and now I'm starting to sway with it. And then from there, I'm like, hey, you know, this is nice. Yeah. Why not? And it and I kept it on for th- now. My kid's in the back seat with his headphones on. He could care less. But <laughs> yeah, you know, it comes and goes. I I was a music minor in college, so I got a very intensive classical indoctrination then. But you know, you find what you like and what you don't like. Probably more so, I've got pieces rather than composers. You know, I love the Rite of Spring. I love the Firebird Suite, you know.
0: Right. What will often happen to me is like I'll hear a piece that I like, and then I'll want to know who composed it, and then I'll want to hear more by the composer, and then you get into the composer. Incidentally, I'm just wondering, Johnny, uh, was your first experience with the Blue Danube waltz well, the same as mine from the Bugs Bunny cartoon with the quacking ducks?
4: <laughs> where it goes,
0: da, 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 and then you hear quack, 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 quack. Yeah, no, uh-huh. actually, it was uh, 2001,
2: A Space Odyssey. Oh that yeah, was, that's
0: right. That's in that. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, that's yeah. the music that
2: they play when they when, when they, the spaceship they're...
0: at the beginning, right? Uh, yeah,
2: the ship's docking the station.
0: Right. Um, oh, that's yeah. Right. Okay, so you had a more uh, elegant introduction to this music. <laughs> a lot of my introduction came from <laughs> old cartoons, of course, right? the Bugs Bunny cartoons, and you know, Fantasia by uh, the Disney film too. That was, sure. that was a big one. You know, so. Well, I think and that's I,
2: where a lot of us got a lot of our musical education was from the Warner Brothers cartoons.
0: and Right. And and this, Absolutely. Yeah. And there's really mm. nothing like that now. I think they're not you know pushing, it, especially, you know, classical and jazz and those um anymore. You know, and jazz for me was the, the Charlie Brown cartoons. like Vince Guaraldi oh, you know, and yeah. all those uh, wonderful compositions, you know, just took off from there. Well, I'm shocked how many standards are now appearing in video games.
3: Oh, that's great. Or, you know, there, there's a bunch of standards. And by the original artists, I think probably because they run out of copyright protection, right, yeah. so they can put on these old standards onto these video yeah. games, especially if they're trying to create a time sense. But more often than not, my son's like, "Oh, I know that song from this video game." I'm like, "Oh, oh yeah, wow, great!"
0: <laughs> yeah, but still, that's good. I mean, that yeah, music it it'll the live on, and for younger there. people, they yeah. have to hear it because um, that was a real golden age in American. You know, we talk about this a lot: the golden age of American song, and those songs really have to, you know, go on. They're just great songs. And the whole jazzy age too, early 20th century until like around the 1960s, although we think it's still going on. All right. Anyway, are we ready for this? Right. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard of, I, I, well, I'm not sure. Have you heard of a composer by the name of Maurice Ravel? Actually, one of my favorites. Again, this is one of those things where it's like, I love the piece, Bolero. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Right. And did that come from the movie 10 with Bo Derek? You
3: got it. You got it.
0: <laughs> we are definitely of a certain age. I we am. Not? Well, we've already said I'm now 58 uh, as of today. So <laughs> I'm right there with you, brother. <laughs> so do the math. You'll figure out. I was in the theater, you know, hearing Bolero, you know, the um, – what, what do they say? It's a 15-minute piece, so it's perfect for um, – Uh, Certain activities that men and women do together. We'll we'll leave it at that. (laughs) The moment I saw that movie, I was on a
2: mission to see if that was actually true.
0: Yeah, I want to (laughs) say, just for the record, I don't agree, but hey, (laughs) whatever. Okay. My problem is I keep stopping and saying, oh, wait, I love this part, you know, so it it just doesn't work out for me. Anyway, (laughs) Ravel. And Bolero is like this too. Uh, Ravel was one of the great um, orchestrators who ever lived. Basically, him and Debussy, and really a lot of the um, early twentieth-century composers. And there were a lot of great, you know, arrangers at that time too. So they're really best known for the, really not just the great melodies, but the sounds that their uh, compositions made, and the, the instruments they used, and how they used them. Today, we're going to hear a piece that um, a lot of people should know because it's one of my favorites, and it's, it's, it's well-known if you know classical music, but if you don't, it doesn't really get a lot of airing in like popular um, culture. So I just want to introduce it today. This is an album of music by Ravel called In Search of Lost Dance, and uh, that title kind of reminds us of uh, Proust's book In Search of Lost Time, which um, people of our age will probably remember in English as Remembrance of Things Past. They've changed the uh, translation title to more accurately reflect the original French title. Anyway, in Search of Lost Dances, the Linos Piano Trio, and the members of that trio are <laughs> ready for this? Prach Bundiskulchak, who's the pianist. He's Thai British, so he's got a Thai name. Conrad Elias Trostman, who is a London born German Brazilian violinist. Are we taking notes? We're we gonna remember. <laughs> this? And uh the cellist is uh Vladimir Valtam. Anyone want to guess where he's from? You're wrong. It's Berlin. <laughs> berlin based and he's french born <laughs> well, oh. he's the cellist i never would have can guessed just, that
2: can i just say yeah your pronunciation of those names yeah you know i got to give you an acknowledgement here because in every one of our episodes there is a roster of names oh. that aj takes a crack at and most of the time i don't know any better Points to you guys.
1: Okay. Well, <laughs> well
0: one of the big we're... issues that our podcast suffers is name name pronunciation. So we butcher uh...
1: weekly with lots of things. Yeah, I did yeah. the last episode. I had like three big band recordings, and I realized I should have made sure I could pronounce all the names because I had to go through you know twenty players for each recording. I was like, oh boy.
0: <laughs> yeah, there are times I've gotten on. i like, okay, I'll look this name up, and then I don't do it. Now you know, I gotta say this name now. <laughs> We do try, but uh, it's not always easy, especially in the international world that uh, classical is and really jazz has become. So there you go. Okay, this album is on Avi Music. Okay, now there's a lot to really unpack here because this album was performed um, on instruments that would have been available to musicians when the works were written. So the violin and cello and even especially the piano have changed a lot since the early 20th century. The Piano trio was written in 1914, right at the beginning of World War One. So things were already getting bad in Europe at the time. Okay, so the two string instruments are using gut strings rather than the modern steel strings that we use today, so they have a less shiny sound. They're kind of more, I want to say dull because it sounds terrible. I, I usually like the word matte, m-a-t-t-e, like it's something that's more opaque sounding, like it doesn't shine. So we'll hear that and the piano is the most effective instrument. It's um, an Arard Concert Grand Piano from 1882. Now the Arard piano was the piano that uh, Chopin uh, used. Back in the early 1830s. And oh, by the way, interesting uh, note speaking of the 1830s, the 1830s were for the piano what the 1960s were for the electric guitar. So you want to keep that in mind. So you could think of uh, Chopin, Liszt, and Mendelssohn as, you know, Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton. <laughs> pick, okay. Take your pick. Okay. 1830s. <laughs> they were happening in time, the Romantics. Okay. Let's see, the Arad Concert Grand Piano has a mostly wooden frame, so a modern piano has a... I guess it's steel, right? It's 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 just this enormous hunk of iron. And the strings are strung straight as they would be on a harp, so modern pianists are cross-strung to make it smaller. And they have a steel frame. It turns out that these older pianists match the dynamic of string instruments better, and... One of the things we're going to hear on this recording is that there are times where the piano is just really banging away. at this really loud volume, and it's not drowning out the strings. And that's not because of the engineer in this case. It's a bit of the placement, but it's because the piano matches that sound so much better. A modern concert grand piano can absolutely overpower the two-string instruments. And I have sadly been to concerts where that's happened, (laughs) but that's beside the point. Anyway, the Arad Straight Strong Piano produces more timbral differences across the range of the piano. So, a modern piano has a pretty even sound. You pretty much know what it's going to sound like, but on the older hard piano, once you get into different ranges, the sound it's going to make is going to be a a bit of a surprise to the listener. Okay, so I think the best thing to do first is to um, compare a more modern recording of this with the period instrument. So the first thing we're going to hear is a recording on modern instruments that was made in 1999, and this is by the trio Wanderer, a big favorite of ours actually on this podcast. And this is them playing the opening of Ravel's Piano Trio. Let's listen. to get to the um, the part where it really takes off but it's going to take a bit of time okay so now we're going to go to the recording that we're talking about today by the uh the linos piano trio now this is on uh, period instruments listen to the difference So that's, um, that's not very much of a difference, but we can kind of hear the piano is a little uh, less full sounding and the strings are a little different too. Anyway, one thing we want to notice too is that the lighter piano sound isn't really apparent right away. It does have less resonance and a lighter tone and it sounds like uh, the action might be a fleeter too. And in fact, if we go on with that sample, we're going to hear the um, approach to the next theme as the, the pianist really takes off actually. So let's uh, listen to this. So you want to hear how loud the piano is playing there at the end too and he's not drowning out the strings he really took off there too i've never heard it really that fast so the action on the piano i think is fleeter too probably i thought the opening was a bit fast but i like what i'm hearing here i liked the uh, throaty cello tone that we heard the violin accompaniment clearly comes across at a minute and 27 seconds and we hear the second theme at a minute and 53 seconds in the violin and this is played very slowly a big contrast with the opening let's hear that theme end of the transition and here comes the violin theme I kind of want to let that go, because it's just so beautiful I just really love it the cello playing in this movement is very expressive I thought and you heard a bit of it there and so is the violin playing but for me in this movement the cello stands out I guess in other r- recordings it hasn't really drawn my attention as much in the past but on this recording it does okay we start very slowly in the development section the violin line is like a leaf floating to the ground in its rhythm and it's, it's really pretty there At the end of this section, there's very little vibrato and lots of expressive contrast is provided by the ensemble. The slow tempo is maintained until around the 5 minute 15 second mark when it suddenly speeds up again for an approach to a variation on the first theme with rapidly bowed strings. Then we get the ending of the opening section again. That floating leaf motif is heard again in the violin at 6 minutes and 55 seconds. Let me play that so that we know what I'm talking about. This is the floating leaf, the way it's just coming down slowly. All right, at 8.42, we hear the opening theme again as presented at the beginning except with the cello very present underneath and this ends the movement very gently and softly. Second movement is labeled pantoum. Now a pantoum is kind of a type of poetic meter in uh, melee and uh, I don't know how it applies to music and critics don't really know either. I know that Baudelaire used this meter in one of his poems called Harmonie du Soir and Debussy set that poem and Ravel probably took the sound of it and put it into this movement. We're not really sure. The second movement, the tempo is taking a typical pace, and the opening has a lot of ping-ponging effect in its jumpiness, and there's a more sustained melody coming in for a brief middle section of the theme. A lot of the detail jumps out of the busily moving lines in this movement. Let's get a listen to a little bit of that. those two themes, and I guess the pantoum has something to do with the two themes just being worked out on their own without really mixing together. There's the staccato one, and then there's the more legato smooth one. All right, there's a B section to this uh, movement that starts at around the two-minute mark in the piano. It plays chords, but the double bowed notes of the opening theme are heard flapping around it. At 2.48, the piano and strings swap parts briefly, and then the ending at the four-minute mark sounds very different than I've heard it played elsewhere. So. This is kind of an original sounding recording or performance. Now the third movement, the pasakaya, this is a little more traditional. This is my personal favorite movement in this work too. A pasakaya is a repeating bass line. You could think of it as just an ostinato bass. You can even think of it as maybe like a rock and roll bass line, except a lot slower. And it just keeps repeating over and over. And over that, there's supposed to be um, different variations. But in this case, Ravel... Pretty much sticks to that bass line and does the variations on that. This is a very somber movement. The piano takes the opening pasakaya bass theme very slowly. some of the notes actually register in uneven piano timbres, which is really interesting. You want to listen to the lowest bass note in the line. it sounds different than the rest of the piano and that's kind of the period instrument erard piano at work there and I've always loved the cello's entry at around the fifty second mark with its legato contrast to the piano's more percussive sound. This kind of difference is gonna matter in something I'm gonna say later. So I'm gonna start this I want you to hear the cello's entry. So I'm gonna play this from uh the ending of the piano's bass line and then the cello comes in. comes in here and i'm gonna stop it there i didn't get you the the piano uh bass note i was hoping for there but
1: it's very <laughs> pentatonic at the beginning there
0: pentatonic like rock and roll nice like the blues. this
3: yeah. is my favorite movement of the piece too yeah
0: mine actually. too mine too mm-hmm. the cello playing on this whole Piece is just, I think it really stands out because I've never really heard the cello really emphasized as it is in this performance. And I think he's just plays really well all the way through. And I think also he's also more audible because of the period instrument piano as well. Anyway, the piano accompanies all of this with gentle chords only on the downbeat, and the violin enters. And uh, now we've heard all three instruments play the theme after the violin goes through them. And then we go off into variations. In a pasacaya, the outline of that bass line is always going to be present in some way. And the idea is that there are variations over it. At the 2 minute and 50 second mark, the cello provides a new melody. Tension is built up. And I don't think the ensemble makes much of the crisis point at around the 3 minute and 30 second mark. It's not emphasized as much as it usually is on other recordings. There's another crescendo. And because of the period instruments, we're not going to be blown away by volume. You might have noticed. And we can hear the piano really playing as loudly as it can at around the uh, 4 minute and 20 second mark with the violin and cello still sounding up front. For me, whether I'm gonna like this performance is decided by the magical section that begins at around the five minute and 35 second mark, where the violin and cello play the bass line with counterpoint solo without the piano. So the piano kind of provides a sort of percussive texture and then when it drops out, it's like magic because now you're hearing only the long lines, smooth strings and I wanna play this section just to tell you what I'm talking about. I love this part of this piece a lot. piano comes back in, providing that percussive texture again. Alright, so what's the verdict? Yeah, I thought this was uh, pretty good. It's taken very slowly. I think I'd prefer it a little faster, but that's fine. It's of a piece with the entire movement, which is pretty slow as well. It doesn't stand out as much as I'd like it to, but I think it's good. In great performances of this work, this section can feel like, you know, the rug is being pulled from under your feet and you're suddenly floating in the air. And I'm not getting that here, but I'm enjoying what I'm hearing. At the end, the piano plays the bass line one more time and ends the piece tranquilly. And I feel like this movement's poetry wasn't, Yeah, it was, it's it's there, but it's not as present as it can be. I thought the tempo was a little too slow, but I still approve. (laughs) The last movement on this um, recording is very impressive, I thought. First of all, one of the great things about Ravel is the magical harmonies he uses right at the beginning of this movement. You have harmonics on the uh, two string instruments starting the movement out, and they're well played here, and the opening of this movement is actually pretty sunny, but it darkens once we hear the cello melody at around the 40-second mark. Let me just play the opening, listen to these gorgeous harmonics, I love this. I really love the smoothness of those downward piano scales when the strings come in too. Now this is a movement that I, it's it's probably my least favorite movement in the work, but I've never liked it as much as I've liked it in this performance. And I think that's probably because of the uh, period instruments not overwhelming me as the modern instruments do in other performances. At 1 minute and 20 seconds, a chord section in the piano accompanied by trilling strings has always reminded me of triumphant church bells. And the new timbres of these period instruments make the entire section from around the two-minute mark really stand out for me. Boy, I can't really play all of that because it'll take a long time. But let me play you the church bell section here. I don't know if that's what Ravel's intention is, but that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, a notice again at 2 minutes and 41 seconds how the piano is again pounding out its chords and not overwhelming the strings. This couldn't happen on a performance on modern contemporary instruments, on a giant nine-foot grand piano. We hear the piano chords and string trills again toward the end, and this leads to a bit of a coda where we reach the end of the movement via the chord and trill material. And that's it for the uh, piano trio. Anyone want to say anything before we go on? You know, a couple of comments. The last piece that you played that had that, the sort of high
2: notes of the violin. At the beginning, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, that happens a lot in music today with a synthesizer. Uh Ah. Doing an electronically locked in arpeggiation over the top of whatever's going on. It happens a lot in
0: popular music now. Obviously, Ravel did it first, <laughs> I yeah. guess. Yeah. Well, those 20th century French composers did, especially Ravel. This is an effect that he used uh, quite a bit. It's just so beautiful. I love it. It's, yeah. it's, it's it, magical well, it to creates me.
2: This, it evokes yeah. an extra visual for me, uh, like sparkly is the word yeah. that comes
0: to That's mind. a good word. Yeah.
2: Sparkly. I've seen a lot of sparkles going on over the top of, of this music that's happening down here. I really like that. And then the other thing I wanted to comment on was just going back to the very beginning where you were comparing the period instruments versus the contemporary instruments. And the word that comes to my mind regarding the period instruments is warmth. With the contemporary instruments, yes, it makes them brighter and more present, but there's some warmth lost in that. Especially A being the two like that, you know, Mm -hmm. that's where I really heard the difference in these period instruments. They're warm. They're really warm and comforting.
3: You said they weren't as full, but the word that came to my mind instead of warmth was richness. There's a rich texture to them mm. that you mm. lose
0: when it becomes brighter and more modern and more steel, less wood. You know? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were written with that character in mind. The balance is nicer too. Now, I don't want to say the period instruments are better. There are sections, and I didn't really pull these out that I like better on the modern instruments. I guess just because people have been playing these works so many times that they've figured out how to get a really good sound out of it and the period instruments don't sound as good there. But I know, yeah, absolutely. I feel the same way in a lot of cases. Period instruments are very exciting. It's really what excited me initially about classical music in the 1980s when uh, the period instrument movement started happening in Baroque music and you started hearing Bach and Vivaldi suddenly. Mm Played by these small groups with these gut strings instead of like these giant orchestras like at half the speed, <laughs> it just sounded like this lumbering mass of you know, something, and now it suddenly it became really light and exciting. They mm-hmm. will have to do like a comparison of that yeah. sweet
3: that fourth movement to me it's interesting. it goes through phases as you're listening to it, you know right. kind of the way I wrote it out is it, it kind of starts as a waltz becomes. A quiet argument builds to a loud argument, and then ends with two people walking away from each other.
0: Oh, that's it's interesting. Just kind of, oh. Hmm. yeah. Just
3: kind of. Those are the visuals that came to mind as I'm thinking as I'm listening to that entire movement. Okay.
0: You with the sparkly opening? I don't know. I thought that would have uh, <laughs> made them happy or something. Yeah, there's some I pretty. I so, bits. but
3: towards the end, it's like these guys are not happy anymore. Oh. <laughs>
0: not happy. It does have kind of a dramatic ending. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. To fill out the rest of the program, we have some arrangements by the Linos Piano Trio themselves. And these are all originally solo piano works. And we have to do a comparison here because I have some issues with these. Anyway, the fifth track is Pavan pour un Infant de Fun, a very famous piano work written in 1899. Ravel also orchestrated this for a full orchestra. So there are two versions that he did. The cello plays the opening theme here while the piano has the uh, ticking chords in this arrangement. And the, those ticking chords are supposed to mimic a guitar. So the infante defunte, uh, the infanta is a princess, a Spanish princess, and Defunt is dead. So she's um, from a long time ago in her court. And this is supposed to be a pavan or something she would have danced back in the uh, 18th century. It's like a memory of an old time, this piece. So it has that sort of nostalgic feel to it too. And the Spanish instrument is the guitar, so um, he's mimicking a guitar on this in the piano version. The B section comes after the first minute. Actually, you know what? I want I have something to say about this because I like the piano version so much better. We have to hear the beginning of this. So let's uh, play Pavan por un infante fund as arranged by the Linos Piano Trio. That's the arrangement. Now, the original version of this is for solo piano, and just because Ravel wrote it, it just has such great stuff in it. Let me just play a little bit of this. This is by Bertrand Chamayou on the piano. I gotta tell you, I like the piano version, the solo piano version better, because I feel like the cello makes you focus on the melody, which is great, but there's all this magical harmony happening as well, and it's given to the piano in the arrangement. Nevertheless, it's a good arrangement. I like it enough. So the B section comes in just after the one minute mark played by the violin, with the piano again providing the chords, and for the repeat, the violin and cello play the theme in harmony. At the 2 minute 14 second mark, there's a wild momentary harmony before the cadence. And the next A section has the violin and the cello playing the A theme together. The piano still accompanying with chords. At 3.19, the C section starts with the violin playing the theme, trading with the piano. I'm glad the piano is getting some thematic material. Then we get the cello and piano. At the 4 minute mark, the piano plays the theme with the violin and cello answering. The tempo has picked up a bit here. At 4 minutes and 41 seconds, the A section is heard for the last time, with the violin carrying the melody this time, and the piano playing the picked guitar arpeggio line. So this is, a, I think, a nice um, arrangement of this work. Um, it works pretty well, though I do prefer the piano version. The next set of works, Le Tombeau de Couperin. These were written in 1914 to 1917. This is interesting. It's originally a piano work, six movements, and they're all named after Baroque dances, except for the first, and sixth movement. Each of these is dedicated to someone Ravel knew who died in World War I, so they're sort of dedications to them. Now this really, I think, works a lot better on the piano than in this arrangement, which is also by the Linos Piano Trio. The Prelude opens with the solo piano opening, with the strings providing some punctuation, and by the 22 second mark, the strings have gotten involved in the thematic material. The tempo is well chosen, and this is working well, sounding a lot like the piano version in fact. The strings provide some harmonic warmth at points in the arrangement, like at around 148. The rushing piano ending is taken partly by the strings here, and loses some of its magic in my opinion. The substitution of a string chord for the piano trough at the end was a bit odd. I'm going to give a sample later, so just let me just keep going through these for now. The fugue, the violin starts this off, the cello has the second voice. And the piano has the third voice. The different timbres make the different voices much easier to follow than in the piano version. But what makes the piano version special is the magical harmonies that result from hearing that same piano timbre on all these voices. It's blunted a bit here by the new timbres. That's not a complaint. This arrangement really is a different beast, Uh, more interested in tracing the melodic material and its byways in the different melodic lines. It comes across as more contemporary sounding in this arrangement due to the oddness of the main fugue subject's shape. Third movement, the Fourlan. I'm not so keen on the drawn out chord accompaniment provided by the strings in this arrangement. The piece dances well. I think the strings bring too much heaviness to the light step of the work's rhythm. The use of the high violin harmonic at the beginning of the B section is nice, but I find the cello's throaty presence here not really appropriate. It takes away from the acerbic elegance of the piano version's conclusion of the melody. And we go directly to the C section, and that features mostly the piano, and I feel at home here. There's a rather cheeky cello glissando just before the fourth minute starts too. And at 457, the violin's high vibrato line also grabs the ear. I'm going to play the opening of this movement in the Lino's Piano Trio's arrangement. to me, there's just, the strings are just extra. I don't really feel like they're necessary there because um, the solo piano just does so much as it is. Let's listen to uh, Bertrand Chamayou play this. just a lot more lightness, I think, in the solo piano version. Going on to the fourth movement, rigodon. This starts strongly, with the piano playing all but the repeating, opening section. At the 20-second mark, the cello takes over the melody, handing off to the violin for different sections of the melody. The middle section starts at a minute and 14 seconds, with the strings appropriately taking the thematic material. Here the strings draw out contours that I never noticed in the piano version, simply by making them more legato than the piano is capable of. The A section explodes, and it explodes in at around 2 minutes and 31 seconds. Fifth movement, menuette. The piano part is played much the same as the solo work, with the strings providing a bit of texture in the accompaniment. Again, somehow these melodies are better shaped for the piano, and the legato string playing of them blunts their magic a bit. French players write to the timbre, and it's hard to transcribe this effectively to other instruments. I do like some of the new textures provided by the strings when they're playing harmony, When the opening theme comes back at the end, we hear the violin take the lead. The ending is actually well arranged with some pizzicato squeaks from the violin as the piano plays high up in its register. And then finally, the last movement, Toccata. Uh, The violin has the rapid repeating notes here as the piano provides the chords. In this arrangement, the rhythm sounds rather like a steam train engine rushing down the tracks, especially due to the sound the cello creates. At the 49 second mark, we get a very fast floaty rhythm for the more melodic material. At a minute and 30 seconds, there's another melodic interlude, and the approach to the end works well in this arrangement. Let's hear that uh, steam train at the beginning of this last movement. Okay, definitely don't get that effect on the solo piano alone. And that's it. So, I was interested to hear the piano trio in this period instrument guise, and it did indeed provide new sounds and highlight certain sections in a way I hadn't heard before. Tempos are pretty dramatic on both sides of the spectrum, both faster and slower than I'd expect. This recording doesn't go to the top of my list, but it interested me enough that I'd want to hear it again, and I may even, after talking about it now, want to go back and hear it again right now. Mm -hmm. The arrangements of the the (laughs) the piano works were good, but not entirely successful. The playing is excellent and dedicated, but the arrangement takes away some of the magic Ravel generates due to the piano's percussive attack. Now, in some cases, they do shed some light on these works, like um, I think I mentioned in the Toccato with its kind of steam engine feel to the rhythm, but I think it makes a lot of those works a little heavy. Uh, Sometimes the strings smooth out musical events that register on the ear beautifully, so I think this is a... Certainly worth a listen. I thought it was a really interesting recording and also uh, a little educational as well.
1: Yeah, I liked it a lot. You know, I didn't really read the notes before I started listening. So that period piano, the first work, it's kind of distant and echoey. Actually, I think it's something to do with the recording as well, because it does improve as the program goes on. Uh, I could hear its presence more. And then I figured, okay, this is not a modern piano. It's interesting. Some of the tempos are faster than I would expect, yeah, but there's a lot of places where they're really relaxed compared to other recordings too. So I feel like the tempo differences stand out to me to my usual versions of the works. But I yeah, I enjoyed all of it. I enjoyed the string tone and I liked the arrangements and interpretations, even if I didn't like them as much as just the piano version. When you hear something differently, it makes you think about... <laughs> that. And then you want to compare it. And it's just as we're going to see on the jazz portion when we get into it, uh, when we're talking about something that's familiar and we hear it in a different way, whether we completely like it or not, it makes us focus more and rethink. And then we can appreciate the differences. I'm all in favor of a different kind of ensemble taking something and reworking it. And of course, purists won't like it, but I think (laughs) it makes things
0: interesting. So I don't know. I think purists may even (laughs) like it more. Who knows? Could be, you know, they won't like the arrangements probably. Anything over there? Anything else for the arrangements? You know, yeah,
3: it's hard sure. to say much of anything without having spent some time ever right. hearing these previously.
0: Right, so the as far pieces. as
3: I'm concerned, these are the only arrangements that have ever <laughs> <No>. been done.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, you see, as a classical fan, I feel like you have to go and listen to the piano solo versions now, just so you know what's being done. I will say this in the solo piano
2: samples that you played us. What the difference is, and, and this would this makes sense in my mathematical mind, is The piano player is not tied to a specific meter because the other instruments, when they're playing along with them, you know, you can't. Right. So he's got more expressive room. Exactly. When it's just him, as little as just a note that hesitates, just that little extra bit, you know, and it, to me, that creates a little more emotion. Mm -hmm. Whereas you're playing with other musicians and especially in the classical realm, you're structured and you can't really break out of that structure.
0: Yeah, that's right. I would say, you know, the, uh, those little hesitations are part of the piano's expression. Like the violin can do that, too, but the violin yeah. has vibrato. It can kind of, you know, mm-hmm. sh- shake the string for emotion. Piano can't do that, so he's got to use some different tricks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. And there we are. We're finished with the classical section. You've all eaten your broccoli. It's time for ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So over to the jazz. <laughs>
1: You know, I wanted to keep this kind of fun and flowing. And since I knew we were going to be getting together at some time, I'm afraid I'm going to always miss a new release. So I get up really early, usually 4.30 or 5 every morning. I've got my coffee and I'm checking all the sites that I know where I can find the daily releases. I have a little listen and then I list up. So I had in my mind, okay, standards, standards. I thought it's going to be most fun if we Give you guys uh, what you're used to listening to and things you may have covered on your show. I didn't want just a meat and potatoes, regular standards album or something by a new artist. I wanted to have a little bit of twist. So I think I found two recordings that have something a little bit interesting about them, you know, outside oh, of the did. usual. You you did. You absolutely did. You did a good got job. Ahead. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so our first one is uh, got a really... Uh, Interesting title. <laughs> Maybe it applies to us as well. Are you sure you three guys know what you're doing? <laughs> we can yeah. just put four in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And this is on Capri Records, and it features the incredible pianist Mike Jones, who's just a phenomenal player. He's from Buffalo, New York, originally, and he's a real straight-ahead pianist. He studied at Berkeley, and he's right in the vein of his heroes of the piano, Oscar Peterson, Art Tatum. Dave McKenna, Earl Hines, all those old-time piano styles. Those will live on through his playing. And he's also famous for having a left hand that rivals his right hand. Of course, all pianists use two hands, but he really
0: uses <laughs> there, two hands. There are some that have great left hands. I, I always used to hear about Art Tatum had the great left hand Yeah, in his piano, right?
1: With him is uh, a really fine drummer, Jeff Hamilton, who's a real swinger. Great at swing, and we actually did. Uh, we have a Christmas album. Christmas album, "Merry yeah. and Bright" from yeah. 2021. If you haven't heard that, if you like swingin' Christmas, that's a really good one. Swing now, Christmas <laughs> is the only Christmas, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, <laughs>
3: I'm with you, and I'm writing that down. So right yeah, Merry
0: and Bright, yeah, <laughs> Merry and Bright, Jeff Hamilton, yeah. The wild card here is the bassist, who
1: happens <laughs> to be gillette half of Penn and Teller, the uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. magicians, the, the
0: magic trio, the duo. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Apparently, this is um, Mike Jones's gig. He's been the pre-show for the Penn & Teller magic show for many, many years. And so they open it up with music. And I guess for about 16 years, Penn Jillette has been playing along with him as a duo before the show. Then they also did a, a recording before this also on Capri Records in 2018 called The Show Before The Show. So their are musical performances before the magic show. And so this one's come out here on, this is August 4th. And so I said, well, I got to hear this because I I want to hear Penn Gillette play the bass and uh, mm-hmm. see what happens here. So the results are uh, pretty interesting. And it's all standards and a whole bunch of uh, tunes that everyone should know who's a jazz fan. Mm-hmm. And so let's go through this. We're going to start out. Where should you start with standards But George Gershwin? It's wonderful, right? Uh, 1927. Lyrics from Ira Gershwin, and this is, of course, from Funny Face, the Broadway musical. It's really swinging, and I have to say, in the trio sections, uh, Gillette sounds really good. He's He digs in when he walks, and if you've never heard Jones before, you're going to see right here he's got endless ideas. He's deadly with both hands. Gillette gets his first bass solo on this one, and it's got some humor in it, I'd say. He trades off with uh, Hamilton, and we're off to a pretty standard start with some fine piano playing any comments on this one from you guys you can jump in whenever you want well i was just going to say first of all until
2: this i had no idea pen gillette had any musicality yeah. in him whatsoever musician i had no idea and you know he's not bad it's it's yeah. not like you know he's kind of doing it no he's doing it he's getting the job done especially in a trio format, everybody's out in front. There's no hiding behind anything, right. but he's holding up his
3: end of the deal mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This first piece, it's not one we've done, but it definitely needs to be on our list.
0: Uh, it's uh, uh,
3: It's straight ahead. It's sweet, really tight. I love it. I, I really thought it was a great version of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I always wonder is, you know, especially I think this is um, kind of Jones's meat and potatoes. These guys who play mainly standards, it takes something to, every time you play it, to sound like you love this song and bring that energy to it. I don't think all players can do that, but he seems to bring out this real joy in all of these tunes. So, yeah, I was kind of uh, impressed by that throughout the recording.
3: Yeah, I know these guys sound like they enjoy playing together. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. the first thing that comes through is that they enjoy what they're doing.
2: Right. One more thing I would just wanted to say about Jeff Hamilton. AJ, you may not realize this, but we have seen Jeff Hamilton live with the Clayton Hamilton Jazz Orchestra at the Playboy Jazz Festival. (laughs) Wow! The Clayton Hamilton Orchestra is somewhat, you could call them the jazz house band of the Hollywood Bowl. They're often accompanying featured players throughout the summer and all the times that I've ever seen them at one of their shows with a featured player. They're very structured. They're very by the book. This was fabulous to hear hear him really cutting loose, Mm. which I've never really heard that in him before. It's always been in a big band format where they get to cut loose as much as a big band allows. But to hear a trio like this really,
1: really impressed me. He can do really cool things with brushes, too. Not just like soft playing, but his uh, brush impacts and excitement are pretty impressive, too. All right. The second tune is Doxy, a Sonny Rollins tune. So we should say, I think most of our listeners, probably a lot of years who know what standards are. You know, the large portion of standards come from the Great American Songbook, from those Tin Pan Alley composers and musicals. But songs that are originals by jazz musicians that are loved by other musicians and get replayed, they also become standards too. And so that's the case with Doxy. It's one of Sonny Rollins' early compositions, originally recorded with Miles Davis in 1954, and it also was included on uh, 1957 Davis albums, Bag's Groove too. So we still hear it around. I think we heard it a couple weeks ago on a newer recording. This one gets a solo piano start, Uh, really nice fills from Hamilton with a stop time beginning, a nice medium swing groove and tasty piano solo ideas from Jones, huge two-hand chord slams. Gillette gets another bass solo in this one and Hamilton gets a cool solo teasing with the uh, hi-hat. Actually I wasn't gonna play this one but maybe we can uh, just get it started because people are saying okay we want (laughs) to we want to hear it now so let's hear a little bit of this get going. It's great yeah. yeah yeah really nice ah, this, uh, drum fills
2: this is the dilemma that we always run into on our show is we th- there's some versions of songs we really just want to let it roll yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I want to stop it exactly it's so good
3: yeah. yeah yeah and that is not a standard I'd even heard of before it's wonderful I know this one didn't even hear of it before didn't know if, I mean it's a Miles Davis Sonny Rollins standard you would think we'd have picked up on hmm. that one
2: Well, and I had heard the name of the song, but I never considered it as a standard. It just didn't strike me that. But, Adge, we're going to add it to the list, I think. Well, you know,
3: I found out a couple things about it, too, is apparently Doxy is a reference to a prostitute, which is not something that I knew. But the song was (laughs) actually named after a bread spread like jam or it's like a type of spread you put on bread Hmm. That Rollins okay. ate at a hotel that he was at with Miles Davis. And oh. Rollins even named his record label Doxy Records right. after really? this tune. Okay. Wow. So, I mean, it's obvious the song had an impression of that right. bread spread. Must have been really good, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yes, but, yeah. but that's a really cool tune. I, I'm, I'm loving it. And the piano has got to be carrying both the trumpet and the saxophone in this version. Right. So I'm really interested in hearing a full quintet do
0: this tune. Hmm.
1: We had it just a couple of weeks ago, I'll have to look up and I'll let you know what, uh, I think we had a larger group play it on yeah. one of our recordings.
0: You you keep talking, I'll take a look because okay. I still have notes for this. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah,
1: happy birthday to Sonny Rollins, who in oh. September turns 93, so wow. amazing. Wow. Yeah. Trek 3 is well one that we've had, on. it's popped up on a couple of different recordings, including in the classical category which is, What a Difference a Day Makes, Uh, Maria Grever. Yeah, this was one of the, oh,
0: oh, because when we did the Spanish Exactly. So
1: in English, the title has been, What a Difference a Day Made, What a Difference a Day Makes. It's been recorded under both titles. But originally, it's a Spanish song by Maria Grever, Mexican songwriter. The original title from 1934 is, Cuando Vuelva a Tu Lado. So the original title actually means, When I Return to Your Side, right? a little bit different. Things often get changed like that. (laughs) Um, Anyway, this is another great (laughs) piano opening on this one. It's really swinging with Hamilton's brushes, speedy solo lines from Jones for an awesome solo. And it's got the strangest bass solo by by, uh, Gillette. Uh, Yeah, I thought we'd uh, pick this up in the middle. And uh, let's join Jones's solo maybe from the middle here and go into the bass a little bit. Right. That's uh, unorthodox, to say the least.
3: Yeah, I was uh, going places. I'm just not sure it was the same place as the rest of the band. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's interesting because he uh, seems to really lay down a good walking bass in the groove.
2: The piano playing in the beginning of that clip, I definitely heard the Oscar Peterson influence on him on that particular playing. Yeah. Really exciting to hear. And yeah, you know, again, Pendulet bass solo. Okay. Fine and a little <laughs> bit funny, but very much in character with what I would expect from Penn Jillette, right. You know, hmm. Yeah.
0: Before go we ahead. go on, I just want to say um, the song Doxy was on Joel Harrison's album, uh, Anthem of Unity. Oh, right. First, right. Yeah. yeah. August 6th, we talked about that.
1: So. Yeah. That's a really uh, freewheeling, fun album. Yeah. Check
2: that out. I'll say one more thing regarding this song, What a Difference a Day Makes. I was excited because this is a song we actually did an episode on way, way back, and I just looked up who we had on that episode and remembering this is one of those prime examples of where in the jazz context, you can take a song and really turn it into something else, right. make it your own. Thus, the Tito Puente version of this oh, song. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Wow. Wow. That's going to have (laughs) some different rhythmic components, I'm sure. To say the least,
2: yes. (laughs) 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 Mm titoized.
1: All right, well, Gillette gets to take center stage on the next tune, Ho Beams, the girl from Ipanema, right? And they give Mm -hmm. him the melody on this. Well, everyone knows this recording. The first commercial recording was from 1962 by Perry Ribeiro. And of course, the Stan Getz, Astrid Gilberto tune became an international hit in 1964. And as I said, Gillette gets the melody. It's kind of funny because whenever you hear this song in your head, you're going to be hearing Astrid Gilberto's voice. (laughs) And here Mm -hmm. you've got the bass taking it. It's kind of light and fleet in Jones's solo. And Gillette has another unique solo on this one as well. Track five is Watch What Happens. That's uh, Michel Legrand, the uh, French composer and pianist's tune. And this is the English language version of Recite de Cassard from the 1964 film, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, and we hear this one done a lot because his compositions are really kind of pretty and interesting. So they come into this one really strong on the intro. It swings hard, and Jones solo really rings out with percussive two-hand energy on this one. Great rolling figures that build up to the end, and the ending has a fun little vamp section to it as well. Have you done this one?
3: No, you know, I have it And I this is kind of one of those ones where we're never ended up on the radar. I don't think I own a version of it, which well, okay. that will always keep me from putting something on the list because, right. frankly, we're cheap. And if we get away with something <laughs> we've already bought as opposed right. to something I have to go out and buy, that right. tends to be one of our things that decides for us. Right. But that said, I think it's got to end up on the list. I thought it was great. You know, one of the things about this entire album has been. These guys are pretty straight ahead. They're doing some different things, but it's a pretty straight ahead trio. And they're doing some fun songs, some of which I haven't heard. All are standards, though. Really great stuff.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the next track, track six, this is a really famous jazz I think you guys have probably done this one, hasn't it? On Green Dolphin Street? We haven't, but it's on our
3: list. Okay. Okay, We haven't done it yet.
1: Mm-hmm. So Bronislaw Kaper and Ned Washington, Jimmy Dorsey, yeah, in his orchestra, 1947, for the film Green Dolphin Street. And this is a really classy solo piano opening by Jones into a great Latin beat from Hamilton, and then a change up to Swing. Gillette gets another out there solo on this one, and then there's a really rollicking piano solo that starts at three minutes, and he really keeps pushing it. Now let's check out the beginning of this tune. That's just gorgeous. Mm, Pretty plain. Yeah. Well, it gets going. Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. Let's go into this uh, really cool solo that he has here. Smoking. Yeah, smoking Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. He is yeah. Smoking hot. yeah. yeah. Really yeah. hot stuff. Wow. And the left hand really honestly shines as well. Yeah. You yeah. know, you hear those chords that he's just stabbing throughout. Just wow. Yeah, really great stuff.
1: <laughs> All right. The next track, seven, You've changed by Carl Fisher, this is a popular song published in nineteen forty-two, written by Carl Fisher and words by Bill Carey. The song was first recorded in 1941 by Harry James and his orchestra. I don't know how that can be. I got published in 42, recorded in 41. I'm not sure.
3: Sometimes yeah. they they would uh, write a song for a band. The band would play it and record it. And then they'd go, wow, we got to publish this and get it copyrighted. Oh, right. And that would happen afterwards.
1: The original of the vocal was uh, Dick Hames. This one's got a ballad treatment, solo piano opening, soft brushing from Hamilton. Very classy, nice piano runs on this one. Track eight, Perdido. I think you guys have done this one, haven't you?
3: Yeah, we have. Mm -hmm. Just
1: recently. Juan Tizol, a longtime member of Duke Ellington's orchestra, and that was recorded for radio transcription also in 1941 by Duke Ellington, and then by the Duke Ellington Orchestra again, for Victor Records in 1942. This is nice and bouncy. Hamilton keeps it skittering with brushes and Gillette really chugs along on this one. Hamilton gets to solo first with nice brush textures and great swinging piano solo with amazing triplets on this one as well. Track nine. There's a medley here. I'll close my eyes and close your eyes. <laughs> so two different songs about closing your eyes. The first one by Billy Reed and The second one, Bernice Pecquery. I'll Close My Eyes was first published in 1945. And Close Your Eyes is 1933. And this is recorded by Freddie Martin and his orchestra in the same year. I think my favorite version of I'll Close My Eyes is by the trumpeter, Blue Mitchell. It's one of the first solos I learned by ear on trumpet as I played along with it. I've always loved that one. On here, Jones gives it a solo Roboto run light touch tasty with great runs he works it up into more rollicking push a great switch to fast walking bass for close your eyes and it gets faster and faster let's take a little bit of a listen to the end of this Dave McKenna, left-hand influence. something happen in play, playing yeah reminds me <laughs> yeah. of uh, yeah dave mckenna who i got to see oh god when was that it had to be like 1990 1991 in schenectady new york
2: in the wake of a piano performance like that i'm embarrassed to say i'm a piano player i i play keyboards but my god i know how difficult it is to separate the left hand of the right hand mm-hmm. and just when somebody can do it to that degree it is just remarkable <laughs> i want to go back though Russ, did you say you're a trumpet player? Yes. So now we have two trumpet players on this
0: podcast. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, wow. Who knew? I didn't know. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, I, uh, yeah. I, I don't. Play is such a, such a generous <laughs> I, term I f- for what I, feel, I do. I
0: feel the same way for as far as I'm concerned.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I just, I do it for fun and okay. I do it for myself. I did just upgrade my trumpet and okay. uh, I much like the sound a lot more than that, than the starter trumpet I've been playing on. But yeah, no, I I do enjoy and as far as this last tune goes, you know, it's interesting. The first half of that song, I'm not a big medley fan. I don't like medleys because for some reason they in this case, definitely, I'd have probably gone to refresh my drink in the first half of the song and then been really mad that i missed the second half <laughs> of the song yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really good the first half is kind of it's fine i mean it's nothing wrong with it but it would have been a perfect time in a set to go oh i I'll just go fill this refresh my drink real quick and right. be right back
1: <laughs> i'd have been mad it really takes off and keeps getting yeah, faster yeah,
3: yeah. oh yeah. it's great it's really good yeah
1: all right. Well, so we've got two more tunes on this. We've got Gone with the Wind by Ali Rubel. This comes from 1937. It was a version recorded by Horace Haidt and his Brigadiers. It was number one in 1937. And whether oh, the title me. of the tune was in any way related to the 1936 Margaret Mitchell novel, Gone with the Wind, is difficult to determine <laughs> from all sources. <laughs> so I'd have to say they were trying to capture on the title if uh, you ask me. This is a nice easy medium swing with Hamilton's brushes. Uh, Jones swings hard on his solo on this one. And the recording wraps up with an original uh, by Mike Jones, just blues for Burns. And it's a rollicking blues to finish up. Endless blues ideas from Jones. Great rolls and tremolos on the piano. And another offbeat short solo with some slaps on the bass from Gillette on this one. And that wraps it up. I had a lot of uh, fun listening to this recording. There's great piano playing and energy. Every tune swings hard. Hamilton is the perfect companion on drums for Jones' piano style. And Gillette sounds really good with his bass walking, and he hangs tight with the guys. His solos are a bit out there. Maybe you could say they're magical in their own way. <laughs> but uh, yeah, by all means, if you guys can make uh, high-energy, fun recordings of these great old tunes, I'm willing to listen to some more of them. So keep it coming. It's interesting,
3: too. They pick some tunes that really you usually connect to brass and there's no brass in this trio and yet they do a fine job of covering up with between the piano and the bass and the drums that you don't notice it as much as i thought i would right because i'm expecting brass in these
0: tunes Mm. i thought this record was really sunny and like uplifting and it's mostly due to mike jones the pianist someone i'm gonna have to keep an ear out for yeah
2: very exciting yeah listen i could really see how him opening for a pen and teller show that would really get you worked up get you oh, excited yeah. you know i don't mean to diminish it by saying that's a great opening act for the magic show but it's the perfect accompaniment <laughs> for something
1: like that you know what I mean i would yeah. just love to be <laughs> in a bar make, with a piano oh, and mike jones to be there and i would just buy him drinks oh. all night, all night. <laughs> <laughs> just be my personal oh. jukebox play me all these great songs yeah
2: Yeah. It's in Sun Valley. There's a, the bar that is in the lodge is called the Duchin room and there's a piano there. And they've, in some years in the, in the jazz festival, they've tried to have acts in there, but this bar is not really conducive to that because it's not really a stage. It's just more or less in the corner. But you put somebody like him on that piano, I could just certainly speak for AJ and I, we would be like at that piano listening, mm-hmm. you know, trying to block out the chatter behind us.
3: Right. <laughs> that is a yeah. you guys ever want to see a great jazz show, the Sun Valley Jazz Show with it, it's five days long. It's all small, very small venues. And it gets to the point where you're able to by the end of the evening and some of the more retiree type folks have gone right. home and they're still playing <laughs> and we're, we're there having drinks with the band and, and having them play whatever we want them to play for us. It's fantastic. It's a right. great time. So I highly recommend it if you ever get out that way. Sounds
2: good. Yeah. Mm, yeah. It's a good. And show. you guys, I'm, I'm curious, just mentioning jazz festivals, do they still do the Mount Fuji jazz festival every year? Does that still happen? Cause I have several blue note albums of artists mm live at the Mount Fuji Jazz Festival.
1: I think they do. Um, I think so, they do, because I seem to... Yeah, yeah, we're in Western Japan, and that's Eastern Japan. So I tend to not look at what's going on in the Tokyo area too much because I get angry. <laughs>
0: because, <laughs> everyone I'm, goes there. Yeah, it's too far to to go for us, you know, for a day out. <laughs> and And too expensive, too, I want to mention. I sure. just missed
1: something, too, that I'm kicking myself about. Seiko, you know, the watch company has a jazz camp in Japan. And I don't know if they canceled it during the coronavirus or not, but musicians can apply to it. And you go and you spend a week with you know some great players and you play together and get instruction. And then all the musicians put on some shows. And I found out about this, that they were going to be here in Western Japan only the day before <laughs> that it happened. And they had some wow. monstrous players. They had um, Diego Rivera on sax. They had Michael Deese on trombone. And they played three shows after the camp, one in Tokyo, one in Osaka, and one in Fukuoka. So I missed out on that too. That would have been the big one to see this summer. Uh You got to kind of look a little bit uh, deep, especially what will happen is some of the players will come to Japan and they'll have a gig in Tokyo, but they'll take on some other gigs around Japan with musicians that they know, but you gotta look deep into the listings because sometimes they're in hole in the wall places like that. And that's where I'd really like to see jazz. I really don't like to see jazz in a big venue or some of these real kind of commercialized venues. I like it in close quarters, you know, where uh, I can be up and close. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. All right, let's go on to our second recording And this one's going to be a little bit off the beaten path. And that's what I think is fun about it. That's what I was expecting. You know, in our podcast, I have a clear focus stylistically. And that's straight ahead jazz tied to the tradition. So I'm not too much into the avant-garde. I don't mind getting out there if you start somewhere where I know where you're working from. Give me a melody and a structure before you go into outer space with it. And I want something preferably that swings. Or has Latin rhythms to it. Also, acoustic instruments. I stay away from electronic kind of jazz. So that's kind of my guidelines. But within that, I've tried to pick on a really wide international kind of selection. I'm always looking at new jazz that comes out of Italy, France, Scandinavia. We've found a really happening jazz boom in Greece. We're gonna have another Hmm. Greek recording coming up too. And then we've also found, you know, musicians bring their own cultural heritage into jazz. Of course, that happened with Latin music and, you know, now Latin jazz is its own kind of style. But we've heard uh, Bulgarian musicians bringing unique rhythms from their traditional dances and things in like that. And I think that's healthy for jazz, for musicians around the world to take what's native part of their culture. Because, you know, Mike and I often talk, especially even in classical music, uh, when we have a culture that has unique dances or rhythms Only people who really grew up with that in their blood can bring authenticity to that. I play guitar too, but if I try to play flamenco, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I really like this music. It sounds awesome. I have no idea what you should be doing, and it's kind of a mysterious music for me. So Mm. here, we've got a singer that hails from Nigeria, Lagos, but now LA-based vocalist, Doye and her recording it's on rhombus records it's called the golden now if i can pronounce it right shekere i think that's the gourd shaker instrument in african percussion oh, that we'll hear on this recording as well
0: did you actually look that up i, mean, I did I, I wouldn't know how to say I did, it did yeah yeah okay. it doesn't look like the H8 take oh. a crack at it
1: <laughs>
3: yeah that would not i'm glad i didn't do that <laughs>
1: So now she's L.A. based, and this is her fifth album. Some of her earlier music is kind of maybe more R&B based, but this one's jazz focus, and it brings in her kind of polyrhythmic African music heritage in with the lyricism that she enjoyed in these jazz standard tunes. She says that every song has its own spirit, and these songs spoke to me, and that's why she chose this program here. And we've got a lot of pretty impressive jazz guests on here including buster williams on bass and we've got the great sean jones on trumpet the personnel varies a lot on each track so i won't be able to go through all the musicians otherwise i'll be reading names for uh, most of the tune here we're going to start out probably you guys have done this one uh cherokee uh
3: and not one we've done
2: let's just look at see if it was on our list we have our long running list of
3: we'll get to it songs <laughs> right i always am afraid Well, maybe we'll run out of standards one day and then, no, no, it's not going to be a problem. I'm going to be dead. (laughs) It's all right. They keep coming. (laughs) Yeah. They just keep coming. We're good.
1: All right. This is by Ray Noble and the first recording by Ray Noble and his orchestra, 1938. And it starts out appropriately with the talking drum. It's got a relaxed, even beat tempo. And Doye has a relaxed, smoky voice, but her voice kind of opens up when it gets in the higher register. On this tune, we've got Desron Douglas on a snappy subdivided bass that I noticed, subtly arranged backing horns, light African percussion, and a rhythmically attractive piano solo from Benito Gonzalez. Yeah, very classy. A relaxed tumbling trumpet solo from Greg Glassman, and some final more jazzy scat vocalizations. Maybe we can just listen to this one get going so you'll know the mood. It's kind of a famous tune. A lot of talking drums Let me <laughs> <laughs> Let me go ahead A little bit here Just What was interesting about this. One of my favorite versions of this is sung by one of my favorite singers, Diane Reeves, but it's like at a breakneck speed. We often hear this song done really, really at a fast tempo, so this is really against my expectations, but I kind of like how it sits in that groove there, and we get introduced to her voice on this first track. The second tune on the recording is Speak Low, Kurt Veal, whose tunes often ended up in the Jazz Standard category. Ogden Nash as well, from the 1943 musical comedy One Touch of Venus. This one's got a Latin percussion opening, a cool syncopated left-hand piano and bass line for Doye to start the tune. She's in her lower register with interesting phrasing, keeping little pauses. What's cool about this arrangement is the stretch from 4-4 of the usual treatment to a six-beat rhythm here. It gives it a little extra space in the melody. I like the flute lines in the backing arrangement. Iliel Villafranco has a piano solo with a lot of nice running lines. And there's also a fluttery flute solo on this one by Itai Chris. And the rhythmic accents are interesting. There's a little percussion section at the end broken up with flute licks on this too. You guys have any initial impressions when you were listening to this as it got started? For me,
2: when I first listened at the beginning, starting with the first track, you know, I'm going into this expecting it to sound much more african i guess right. for lack of a better way to describe it i was imagining a vocalist along the lines the vocal stylings of say like an angelique Kidjo or something and especially then with the talking drum i'm like okay yep here we go that's that this will be cool you know much more world music type of vibe but then once it really kicked in i was like wow <laughs> <laughs> she's doing some really good jazz here like you said along the lines of diane reeves i can hear the subtle influences of the Nigerian background. Right. But it's not overpowering. It's not overbearing. It's still living in the jazz realm more so than, say, the world music realm for me. Right.
3: And then the second song, Speak Low, I really thought it was going to go more Latin than it did. And it didn't end up going there. I wanted, uh, and, and we've talked about this old SNL skit a few times in the past on our show, is that I wanted more cowbell. <laughs> probably, probably a little less blue. Yeah. I wanted to, wanted to hear a little more cowbell uh, It's kind of where I was at with that one But, but it was fun, it was interesting I, it, mm. It's a very different type of uh, Jazz than what I was expecting Especially after just hearing the Mike Jones uh, Album, it, it's just A complete departure from that
1: Yeah, and the more surprises to come here oh, Another Ray Noble tune for Track 3, The Very Thought of You First recorded by Noble and his orchestra 1934 an electric bass heartbeat gets this one kind of started out. There's guitar and African percussion. I'm not sure if that's Shekere in there too. They give it a sparse arrangement. Doyen's phrasing is endearing, getting high and low register charm on this one. And there's kind of an understated guitar interlude and that bass heartbeat sound ends it. Four is a big standard. You guys must have done this one, My Funny Valentine.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, of I Yeah. I heard this episode, in fact. comes
1: from uh, the musical Babes in Arms, 1937. This one's got a mysterious intro with the ostinato bass pulse that gives it a completely new feel. And Sean Jones, great trumpeter, adds trumpet tastes on the harmon mute behind Doye's singing. And she phrases it pretty straightforwardly on this one. There's a little vibrato touch on longer tones. Victor Silva has a ringing piano solo and some kind of film noir trumpet sounds from Jones. And then Doya gets some vocalizations that do remind me a bit of Diane Reeves on this tune as well. Now, the next one, we've definitely got a sample. I've Got You Under My Skin. I think you guys uh, have covered this one. I think uh, Mm -hmm. you guys are, are you guys all through the uh, Sinatra at the Sands uh, recording yet? (laughs) We're
3: getting darn (laughs) close. close. I'll tell you (laughs) what, we're getting close.
1: (laughs) You guys heard my story about that recording, didn't you?
3: No, I hate it. Oh, so...
1: Back when I was uh, in university, I had another trumpet playing friend. Sorry to our listeners who've heard this one before, but we were uh, trading albums and I think I had given him that Blue Mitchell recording I referred to earlier and he gave me Sinatra at the Sands and then we swapped back and he took his CD and uh, he went to work. He was working for his father's uh, company and he put the CDs on the desk and his father's secretary said, what's that? And he's like, "Ah, it's just a CD. Don't worry. You wouldn't be interested. And she said, no, what is that CD? It's just some jazz, you know? And she says, no, I want to know what it is. He says, okay, it's uh, Frank Sinatra and Count Basie live at the Sands. See? Well, why do you think I wouldn't be interested? I was there. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) So she had been on her honeymoon in Vegas. And that night, was at the very performance when it was recorded. So oh, my God. We were both uh, shocked by that one, yeah. God, <laughs> and <man>. envious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
3: No wow. doubt.
1: So, of course, Cole Porter, I've Got You Under My Skin, 1936, musical film, uh, Born to Dance. And here, this is arranged by Doya. Now, we got to pay attention to this one because this tune shows up twice on this recording. I think this is where it all started out here, and so this is going to be the first version of it. It starts with some riffing sax and a lot of percussion into a big happy dance rhythm arrangement with accented horn lines. It's unique in the arrangement, really subdivided and busy under Doye's legato and relaxed vocal lines, so there's an interesting contrast there. There's more flowing backing horns. There's a rhythmic piano solo from Walter John Bankovich, and a short trombone solo by Marty Werner, a nice slow down before the ending with a long-held note before the happy tempo resumes. There's a fun final horn stacking at the end of it too, and a fall to a final chord for a cute ending. Let's take a listen to this That's a lot of fun. I really mm. like how her voice just floats it out over there and you've got all this subdivided rhythms and percussion under there. Yeah, pretty cool.
3: Yeah, very Latin feeling. It reminds me, I mean, I know you said it was unique, but it really does remind me of the Dinah Washington version, mm. which has that same kind of a uh, bongo thing going on at the beginning right. and and uh, it feels very dancey and right. I, I like it.
1: Yeah, high energy, I like it too. hmm yeah. Well, speaking of uh, Sinatra again, the next track, Fly Me to the Moon by uh, Bart Howard. Originally, this was titled, in other words, you know, the other lyrics we hear in it, 1954. The first recording by K. Ballard in the same year. And this one is also arranged by Doye. It's got a kind of a unique atmosphere from the guitar of Lionel Luque. It starts busy, but relaxes for the vocal start, And Doye sings it as a stretched out ballad, which is a contrast to the usual swinging versions we're used to. Luque has a really unique pizzicato guitar solo on this one. Track seven, Afro Blue, the Mango Santa Maria composition. This one shows up as a jazz standard on a lot of things. Have you guys done this one? We have not done this one. I think we have.
3: No, I considered this one, but there's not a ton of versions of it. It's under a hundred versions of
0: it. So yeah, we, we went
3: back and forth on it.
0: Yeah, it seems to be making a big comeback as I'm seeing it on a it lot is of now jazz mm. records, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, 1959 when
1: Santa Maria was a member of the Cal Jader Sextet. That's when it was first recorded. This one's got a really funky, cool groove with a really interesting guitar riff. There's a lot of rhythmic interaction going on with the percussion. Doya gets to really resonate on this one in her lower register. And there's a cool affected guitar solo from another guitarist, Doken Oke and we get some cool vocalizations to finish it up. Now we've got to play this one too. Track 8, Duke Ellington and Irving Mills' It Don't Mean Mm. a Thing, right? if it ain't got that swing. And this ain't got the swing when it starts out, but it gets it as the tune goes (laughs) on. So you get that rhythmic switch up that I like. Desron Douglas gets it going with acoustic bass. It gets a cool even beat groove, and as I said, it changes to swing and back. There's a good horn arrangement, and Doye adds some doo-wops in the line. Zem Audu has a gutsy tenor sax solo on this one, switches up between the rhythmic feels in his solo nicely, and the same for Benito Gonzalez on piano, and Glassman on trumpet again has some lines that stand out with more vocalizations. Let's check this tune out and hear how it gets that swing.
4: A thing, if it
1: I like that tight little guitar riff there over in the left channel. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I like how she changes it up
2: between that first rhythm, we'll right. call it. And then there's that second more traditional jazz rhythm, I suppose, but she blends them. She and the band, they blend them really well together. Yeah. Yeah. When it, it gets into it's that walking bass,
3: jumping from one to the other, you know, hmm. I know Johnny's mentioned it a couple of times where the, the difference between swing and non-swing is the accent. You know, if you got the accent on the one and the three, it's not swing. If you have the accent on the two and the four, it is swing. And, the, and she's switching the accent. It is right. switching in between. Yeah. The first half of the first part of that song, it's on the one and the three. Yeah. And then she starts to sing and bring it in. And now it's on the two and the four. And then she goes back to the one and the three. And it's like, okay, now that's an interesting way of playing this tune.
1: It's a great thing. You know, a lot of the tunes, you know, in the hard bop time, in the early 60s on Blue Note or whatever, they would do that. They would get the Latin section, and then the next section breaks into swing, and you would get that Art Blakey press roll. And it's just sort of, when it gets into swing, it releases all of that tension from the even beats. You go back and forth. I just love that. I never get tired of hearing that technique used in tunes. Well, as often happens when we're dealing with standards, we're going to get one that was on the previous album for the next track. Green Dolphin Street again, Bronislaw Caper and Ned Washington from 1947. A unique feel with a cool bass line of intervals. There's a nice trumpet solo that flows from Greg Glassman. Dokong Oke has some nice guitar lines here, and Doye keeps the vocal phrasing relaxed and has some breathy charm on this one. Track 10, I'm Confessin' That I Love You. This is an old tune, goes back to 1929. Doc Doherty and Ellis Reynolds And first released by Fats Waller and his buddies. Lionel Luque's guitar makes a unique dreamy atmosphere with effects and light percussion. The guitar solo is really unusual. I'm guessing that he's got two overdubbed parts with different effects for this one. Doye keeps it restrained and light in the vocals. Track 11 is Key Largo. You know I wrote to Rhombus Records asking for the full credits for this one and here's a big credit goof guys. They wrote by Bertie Higgins. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, do you guys remember? Sailing away to Key Largo. 1981. Yeah, that's that guy. Yeah. Uh, that's well, that guy. Yeah. He, he, wrote he wrote that one. <laughs> now, this is not that tune. This is <laughs> Benny Carter's version, okay? That goes back to 1947. Anita O'Day with Benny Carter's orchestra. Sorry, Bertie Higgins, but... <laughs> All due, due respect. Yeah. yeah,
3: just fine. I, I was wrong, kind of wondering about that, yeah. actually. I caught that.
1: You know, when I first saw the credits before I had listened to all of the tunes, I thought, is she doing that tune? <laughs> no, after all, it's not yet. This one gets started with some flute from Itai Chris. It works into a slow Latin groove with piano and Latin percussion. It's slow, but has strong accented hits and flowing horn lines. Doya keeps it tropical and dreamy. A nice trumpet solo here from Freddie Hendrix and ringing acoustic bass from Edward Perez. It gets some hard-hitting drum accents into a tenor sax solo from Ron Blake to push it to the ending section. changes up to a new rhythmic groove with an interesting horn arrangement. Track 12 is Azure, Duke Ellington, and Irving Mills. This was first recorded in 1937. Drums and percussion make a rubato intro, and then there's a throbbing African drum beat on this one. Gets it moving over electric bass, and it gets this kind of gliding feel to it. The percussion get time to work around between Doye's relaxed verses. The arrangement is really full of sounds here. Maybe too much for my taste on this one. Some more unique guitar tones on a solo from Dokun Oke. Track 13, Devil May Care. This is Bob Doro and Terrell Kirk. First released by Les Elgart and his orchestra. Never heard of (laughs) it 1955.
3: This is is not a standard that I'm familiar with. I I couldn't find it on my list.
1: Mm. It could be just a tune that she liked.
0: Yeah, it could be. It was interesting.
1: Mm. She
0: will tell us where it comes from.
1: Could be. This is arranged by, or actually, since it's arranged by Buster Williams, the bassist, it could be maybe one that uh, he uh, suggested. Anyway, he makes a snappy acoustic bass groove and the African percussion pops between the two channels left and right. There's no harmony instruments, just Doye's vocals. I like the sparseness of it. Uh, Williams digs in with a little solo bass section and I like Doye's phrasing on this one and unique enunciation and tone. Actually, why don't we, uh, as we're getting down to the end here, why don't we check out the beginning of this.
4: as I can be, I've learned to love and to live, devil may care,
2: no blues and woos, whatever comes, later goes, that's how I'll take and I'll give, devil may care, Um, when the day
1: I you know it's really hard for a vocalist to uh, sing just over bass with no chordal instrument. You have to have a pretty good sense of pitch, and uh, be able to keep things together.
2: And then throw in the you know not so traditional jazz percussion as yeah. well. She does <laughs> a fine job though of, of yeah, that's good. presenting melody and you know behind this bass line, this just kind of
3: walking yeah. all over the place. Interesting side note on this guy Bob Doru. that his name doru he's the guy who wrote the song apparently he is famous because he did all the schoolhouse rock songs oh Oh, wow he's that guy (laughs) and he apparently he worked with uh miles and did a bunch of bebop and cool jazz so he's a name i just never heard of him
1: schoolhouse rock that's um you know who sang those i don't know that jack sheldon
0: the trumpet player Hmm. oh yeah
1: that's the voice conjunction
0: junction what's your function that would have been the one i would have pulled out too that's funny (laughs) yeah Uh, that's the one i really remember i'm just a bill too i guess that's him too all
1: in my head from watching all those cartoons when i was a kid and then uh, i didn't know that till years later yeah oh that's great all right we're gonna wrap up this recording with another version of i've got you under my skin and this is very different Starts with a deep electric bass solo that brings it in with a completely different hypnotic feel. Doye's vocal phrasing contrasts with the subdivided guitar and percussion rhythms. And there's a really unique ringing tone on the guitar too. And another cool
0: toned guitar part as well. Go yeah, ahead. I called this kind of hypnotic, like a 90s trip-hop track. So. <laughs> Let's see. Did you listen to that back in the day? I did. I still do. I like it a lot. Oh, wow. Massive attack and they were great (laughs) let's check out how this one's different whoa that's low got subtle but very cool ad libs like your little huh this yeah i like those little <laughs> vocalizations they're all over the record it's really fun yeah that track has the chill music
2: vibe right. to it yeah. sure and it's funny because on that song of, of all the pieces that we've heard here the shakare, that's the instrument right right really shines in that one yeah it's it does. it's mm. it's
1: almost the featured rhythmic instrument yeah it's not loud but it has presence yeah, When they make mm-hmm. space for it, it really creates something. It sort of suspends the time in its own rhythms, and I like that.
3: Mm-hmm. I wonder if she's playing that herself or if there's a, uh, someone else playing it.
1: Let's see. I know she does on some tracks. Let me take a look on this one. This <laughs> says Shaker on this Fred Dombe, so maybe she's not on this track. Anyway, that wraps it up, and I really enjoyed this album. It's fun to hear these standards in a new way bringing a different cultural influence in rhythms and then in interpretation. Doya's voice is appealing. It's got a nice smoky quality, relaxed phrasing. And what I am always looking for, I'm very picky with vocalists. As you notice, we feature very few yeah. <laughs> on the Adult Music Podcast. <laughs> I want a sense of honesty in a voice and also joy that you're having a good time singing this song and that will come to me. And she does that very well. And oh yeah, really nice work here, good arrangements. And, you know, I'm interested to hear what other songs you get inspired to record in the future as
0: well. I like this, too. I thought she had, like, a, she was very understated as a vocalist, and I kind of liked that. And another thing, we talked about this on the podcast before, but this is actually true for me in classical music, too. I listen to so much instrumental music. We don't really do like so much vocal music. So a lot of these tunes I know from hearing them, like Cherokee, I know from hearing swing bands play them or other bands. So I'm always, like, sometimes I'm really surprised to hear words to them. Like I didn't know what the words are and I'm always kind of happy to hear them. And mm-hmm. that was the case on this album. I didn't know the words to most of <laughs> these tunes, mm-hmm. except for the ones that I knew from Frank Sinatra. But. Right, sure.
3: Understated is a good way of describing her. I would like to hear her go big.
0: Oh, I, I'd like to hear
3: some song where she'd step, right, really step into it, because it feels like more than once she's right on the edge of that, and I'd love to hear it go that direction. That's certainly not the case in this album at all. I'm Maybe she does on other albums, and I just haven't heard it yet. But the potential is
0: definitely there. Yeah, that last track that I got you under my skin with the – Kind of trip hop grew. It kind of, this is a bit of a Chardet vibe in that too. And she's also, I was just thinking that. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. But she's got Mm -hmm. that kind of laid back sort of vocal style as well. They're they're different sounds, Mm -hmm. but nevertheless, Mm -hmm. I kind of hear at least the styling is a little bit, you know.
2: The same. Well, I got to say, I enjoyed the album and I got to thank you guys because I can safely say that I probably would not have bothered to find it or listen to it or seek it out or whatever, had it not been for you bringing it to us or oh. inviting us on your show. So
0: yeah, I'm a fan. Oh. Because of this podcast, I wind up hearing and buying a hundred more albums a year that I would <laughs> have So I don't know if that's a good yeah, or bad thing. Yeah, I'm, right th-
3: I'm right there with you. I'll tell you what. Yeah. I, you know, we spend a lot more money on Apple Music these days.
1: I don't you know, When we got yeah. into this, I'll talk about this when we go on your show, you know, Mike had, uh, had the idea because he was more of a uh, ardent podcast listener.
0: I, and- I had been trying to get a podcast co-host to do something, anything for like, Years and no one wanted to do it, <laughs> but then I finally, Russ finally. And,
1: and so we've known each other for you know more than twenty years, and mainly we would get together once in a while. and We were always trading CDs and music. Listen to this, listen to this, and sometimes we'd get together and listen to music together. And then when COVID hit, I play music and of course all the gigs were canceled and we'd set gigs up, things are the green light and then it's canceled again. There's nothing going on that way. And for a few years I had been using streaming just so I could discover new music. You know, not as a serious way of listening, but just to see things. And I thought there's so much. It was really overwhelming. Where do I even mm-hmm. start? And I said, what man, I use this podcast to make it so i can really get a grasp on everything new that's coming out from everywhere and i want to be able to pick from it so i've really worked up to that and i have my ear right to the wall every day to catch new things and uh, so i was happy when i find you know things that are a little bit out of the ordinary artists i've never heard before that are really great or jazz from other parts of the world that i would never have heard if I was only looking in the jazz magazines or the Spotify recommendations. And that's been the real joy for me to see that, you know, jazz is thriving all around the world, up and coming young musicians. I think it's great too when, like Doye here, we see great jazz coming from Finland or something. And thinking, what are they doing listening mm. to jazz records in Finland? And then they get really mm.
0: excellent at it, you know. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you start talking to them it turns out there's a real happening scene there too you know <laughs> well
1: this has been a blast guys yeah. i'm so glad well, we yeah. uh,
0: got together yeah,
1: it go. took a little while but i'm glad we did too if after this experience you still want to have <laughs> us on your uh your show <laughs> i would suggest um in your case uh let us know a standard or we could do even more than one and pitch them at me. And I will try to find some really obscure and interesting versions of that song from my collections or other things out there that we could uh, be puzzled at. And uh, that could be a lot that of fun. Would, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. That'd be that great. That would
3: be awesome. Yeah, no, yeah. we uh, that's usually our our, fa- our way of pick is pick a song. And then once we pick the song, uh, find versions. And if we don't own them in our collection, go out and see who's out there, who's doing it.
0: But yeah, yeah. be fun yeah one more thing aj you were uh, interested in the jeff hamilton christmas album we absolutely have to recommend to you the robert hicks christmas album winter a while which we did last year it yeah. just electrifying! so good great arrangements robert hicks winter a while. and All to right. our listeners again too because yeah. yeah winter while winter, winter a, while. a while
1: yeah best holiday recording ever Um, more fun, more fun than you'll ever have.
3: Christmas. I have a large collection of Christmas albums. I I hang on until Thanksgiving to start
0: playing them. We're like, we
1: discuss this every year. I get burnt (laughs) out really quickly.
2: If I could sit, just say one thing, of course, thank you for having us. This is great. And oh, yeah, something we really appreciate I always say in our show when we're cross-promoting your show, and I would love to reiterate that here, <laughs> is that for any of our listeners that have come to listen to your podcast as a result of hearing us talk about it and vice versa, any any of your regular listeners that have or now, hopefully, will mm-hmm. come listen to podcast as well, email us and let us know. We'd love to know that this cross uh, promotion idea is, is, you know, being somewhat fruitful. We'd love to know.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. By all means, drop us a line by email or through the Facebook.
3: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. And, uh, you can find us at, uh, and I'm going to plug myself a little bit here. So, same Difference uh, Jazz Podcast on Facebook or Same Difference Jazz Podcast at gmail.com to drop us a line. And then you can just look for a Same Difference, two jazz fans, one jazz standard.
1: And I'll put the link as usual at the end of the episode. Thank oh, you, guys, that. for yep. making this the best birthday ever. Hey,
2: happy birthday, Mike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. Well, we, we won't wait till my birthday to, to get you guys on. We'll uh, we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, we will right. do this it
3: soon. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, my birthday's in November. We should we should think about that. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, the only thing is though, when, when it's ever when, it, when uh, like about a month before his birthday, the hints start dropping. Gosh, you know, I really want
3: <laughs> <bought> that Marcellus <laughs> box set.
2: Uh, you oh know. yeah, the
1: box sets. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, <laughs>
3: I, I take single albums. I'm good.
1: I'm, right. I'm not greedy.
3: <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, thanks very much. Yep. Very much appreciated.
1: Hey, thank you. We'd like to say, as always, thanks to Fast Signs of Staten Island for our glowing neon logo. Be sure to check out the Same Difference podcast as well. And this has been episode 133 and look forward to uh, maybe going on the same difference before the end of the year and look at some more standards together. So until the next episode, keep listening. And if you want to check out all the music we talked about in this episode, the links are there and there'll be a full playlist on Deezer as usual so until next time keep listening
3: same difference two jazz fans one jazz standard a review of a single jazz standard through music history and stories and this is AJ and this is Johnny if you are a jazz fan and you like jazz standards